Welcome back to First Draft Phil. My name is Phil Lager. I am a singer-songwriter and worship leader, and I guess I can add the title of podcast host to my resume now. Although, as you will hear today in this episode, I still have a lot of learning to do. I tried to edit out all of the ums and ahs and me fumbling out over my words, but there are some still left in the spirit of First Draft. I uh, try not to make myself look better than I really am at this thing, um, which is a constant theme in my life, uh, just being real. But today I sit down with some good friends of mine, Majors Bill and Sue Dunnigan, and doctor, I think he's a doctor, I need to check on that, Bill Rollins, uh, all of whom played a crucial role as I was getting started, all of whom discipled me in some way or another as a as a young person, as a college student, as a young adult, as an employee, as a worship leader, as a musician. And they just have some really good things to say about, um, about worship in the Salvation Army, about disciple-making in the Salvation Army, and how music plays a crucial role in that, how worship as individuals and corporately plays a crucial role in that. So uh, sit back and enjoy this conversation with my good friends, Majors Bill and Sue Dunnigan and Bill Rollins. Uh, We are recording this on, uh, what's today? Uh, June 17th, 2022. Yes. I've known you guys since 1996. Yeah. So a few years in there. For people who are listening, uh, for whoever will be listening to this, I have to my left Bill and Sue Dunnigan, who are pretty recently retired. Yeah. One year, Salvation yeah. Army officers. And right on the couch next to Miss Dunnigan is Bill Rollins, who was my former boss <laughs> uh, in Massachusetts Division. Uh, and you guys all were very instrumental for me as a worship leader in the Salvation Army. Um, Dunnigan's, I spent, uh, I came out of uh, high school, which I just scraped through. I was, uh, I met the now love of my life for 20 years, the lovely Miss Sarah at camp. And we moved to you guys' house, uh, the Jubilee House there in Dorchester. That's a story for another podcast. (laughs) But um, we all have mothers, biological mothers and fathers, but we all need more than one mother and father. In, in, in life. And Bill, you as well, when I worked for you, uh, I had some growing up to do as far as responsibility and, mm-hmm. and just learning that um, I couldn't just sit at my computer and write, write music all day as, as much as I wanted to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I want to have a conversation with you guys because the more, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old now. Um, I know it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> and <laughs> I've got three kids of my own. One who, one is working here. He's 17 years old this summer, um, so it, it's kind of crazy. And as I think about um, what I want to do for the rest of my life, the rest of my career in, in music and worship, it has me thinking back to the early days of when I started leading worship in the Salvation Army. Uh, I want to go back to a, just um, to Jubilee House, okay? So this is... Um, I was your guinea pig, one of the guinea pigs. I moved in 
Phil, you moved yeah. in before the furniture was in the house. <laughs> we had just moved in in yeah. August, and mm. you came around Labor Day weekend, I think. Yeah. Came up from Atlanta. Yeah, to start the fall of 1996. We didn't know you from yeah. Adam. Yeah. All I remember about Philip, Phil, is after his <laughs> oh, mom left, he shaved his head. Yes. I did he just like, yeah. and he went to be a waiter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was, uh, I was still trying to find myself. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'm still trying to find myself. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was that was that was crazy. And you guys were starting this new thing. Yeah. There at Jubilee House, uh, it was really. I mean, anybody who knows you two know that you've always been on the, the cusp of um, not because you, want to but anything you, you've always been on like different ministry you know <laughs> different kind you know it's you're not you're you know you're yeah. you're not you're your typical uh you know just go to a core fill in like you, you know that's not what god's called you to do we've always talked about that uh, uh, you know our ministry just for whatever reason has always been kind of outside the box so that a friend of mine said once i said you know when, when you say to bill dunning about being outside the box he'll say Box. There's, a, There's box. a box. There's a box. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love it. Uh, and yeah, so what we were, came there to Boston to do was was just very different. We knew we were called to incarnational urban ministry. We were going to live in the house, live in the city, and God led us to and opened up the door. And we were just amazed that the Salvation Army was willing to buy this. 23-room Victorian mansion in the heart of Boston. And we moved in there, and one of the first things we said to each other was like, okay, this house is way too big for just us and our three kids. So God's going to have to bring some other people here to live with us. You were and the first the very one. first one was just yeah. like, <laughs> almost like... Instantaneously. Instantaneously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so you guys were there for um, how many years? 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. We were 15 years in Boston. We lived at Camp Wonderland yeah. uh, for the year before we came into okay. Boston, and then okay. we were 14 years in Jubilee House. Yeah, and you saw dozens. How many people oh. lived with you guys during that? Hundreds. We Over 200. Yeah. Over yeah. 200. Yeah. Not all at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you could, yeah, although you could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for at least a semester, I would say, of the people that were living with us for at least a semester, there were over 200 mm -hmm. 14 years. We had we worked with Gordon College uh, for six or eight of those, and we had so it was about a hundred of them were, were Gordon College students who came yeah. for to do an urban semester. Is that what they called it? Boston urban semester. Boston urban semester. Yeah. My favorite part of that house, I had never lived in a house where they had marble floors. Like, I remember the, 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 the I think where you guys' uh, bedroom was, there was like a black and white marble. Yeah, and up on the third floor. Yeah, and there was like waterfall faucets. I had never had waterfall <laughs> well, faucets we, To all your listeners, they yes, need yes, to know yeah, yeah, that this, this is important. It's important. the house like, previously, before the Salvation yes. Army bought it, in yes. 1996, yes. 1996, the 23-room mansion yeah. on an acre of ground for $340,000. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and the previous owners had been, since we're talking about music, yeah. the previous owners had been the Knight family, Jordan and Jonathan Knight, being two of the four of the new kids. New kids, kids on, on the block. block. Right. And the new kids on the block had really started. It started in the basement yeah. of that house. They yeah. practiced in the basement. 
engagement. So that's all the fancy accoutrements on the upper floor. <laughs> yeah. What I remember, and I stayed with you guys actually, um, because you know I I, <laughs> I went to college at I went to Berkeley College of Music for one semester, transferred to a different transferred from Bible College, community college. I finally went back. I didn't even graduate that time. I had to go a third time to get to finally get my degree. Um, but what I what I remember specifically about um, uh, because we are talking about worship, and I, and I, and I do want. Have specific memories. We net we had wasn't we were prepared for Sunday mornings, but Sunday morning was not the main. It wasn't everything wasn't necessary. It was a great point in the week. It was necessary part of your ministry, but it was not the like there was ministry happening mm-hmm. all throughout the week. And for me, and I know other people modeled this to me in my life. It just took me a while that to realize that that's what you should do. For me, that, that, that was the first time I, I was like, oh, okay, um, I can't just uh, worship on Sunday morning and do other things. I think you know. that one of the other ministries, uh, and Bill Rollins was a very, he didn't live at Jubilee House, but he was our neighbor and my adopted mm-hmm. brother, yeah. but was the Christian, the sense of Christian community mm-hmm. and, and the ebb and flow of the naturalness uh, Christian life that it's not just centered around that Sunday morning worship, whether it's praying together around the table, <clears throat> lots of great conversations over breakfast. Absolutely. Uh, you know, our we didn't even have a feeding program. We called it fellowship meal on Tuesday nights. We had street people and professors and everybody would come yeah. and college students and we would eat together, break bread, and we would worship after that. Mm-hmm. You know, so that I think there was I feel like a naturalness to that that worship and praise that's just part built in part of your life, not com- compartmentalized. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. The term I like to teach my mentees about what you're just describing is that Christianity is a lifestyle. Oh, right. It's not something you put on on Sunday and then you take off for the rest of the week. Right. It's a lifestyle for every moment you mm-hmm. make. To yeah. Live. yeah, for sure. And and uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, I'm gonna uh, refrain from going down the the just the big nostalgia rabbit hole because I could definitely do that all day <laughs> with you guys, and I'm sure you could tell some stories <laughs> about me. Um, one particular memory I do want to hone in on, though, um, that's kind of crucial for for anybody that has, um, yeah, any, anybody that knows me is that um, in 2000. So this is afterwards. In 2002, I was asked to lead worship with uh, sort of a, a just a put together band of, of young musicians for the Territorial Youth Institute in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, the major Eddie Hopgood at the time had asked, he asked me, uh, uh, you know, can you do some songs, you know, uh, that, um, you know, are from our songbook, you know, because I, I I was not doing anything at that point in my worship leading career, if you want to call it that, I wasn't doing hardly anything. And so I was like, oh yeah, I do have some stuff that I remember that I that had never really gotten used up until that point. I think maybe we'd tried a couple of times, but the seed, so I said, yes, I do have some stuff. Um, I've got some, I've got a couple songs, Send the Fire and, ba- and Oh, Balance Salvation that I've been working on, new arrangements stuff. Now, a lot of people don't know this, 
But the reason <laughs> that I w- was was working on that was because I had at some point in the in one of the living in one of the living rooms of the Jubilee House, um, I think it was the one right beside your bedroom. I yeah. I had found your songbook, uh-huh. uh, and you had you had written some some chords in it. Now I I'm not I have never been a guitarist, but there wasn't a piano at the Jubilee House at the time. Uh, there was like I think there was a a really bad upright at one point. So I had to hop on Bill's, I, I just, I was, yeah. I, the only chords that I knew at that time were a D, an A minor, uh, a G, and an E minor. And so I just, and those were the chords that ended up on Sin the Fire, but you had started to write some stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't, I don't think I directly ripped you off, but I did get inspiration from. Well, yeah, I remember what it was, and the specific song was, Sin of Fire, mm-hmm. uh, because at that time, I, I was not, you know, I didn't grow up in the Salvation Army. Uh, the Salvation Army songbook became, you know, I first learned of it when I was in college, and I would tr- I treated it a lot of times just like a like a book of poetry or something, because mm-hmm. there was no music. It wasn't like a hymnal. I, I'd been a Methodist. I'd been a United Methodist. So... Yeah, you guys, Methodists have the... the yeah, so, you know, we had all the notes and stuff in there. And I'm like, there's no, and so I would just read it sometimes. And there were songs that I thought, man, this is a really good song. And that song was one of them mm-hmm. that like, I don't think at that time I'd ever heard it sung. Mm-hmm. And I just, but the words I felt were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had a conversation about it. And I said, man, no, you should, you know, write some, write some music to this song, this <laughs> song. This song needs some music. I've never heard it sung before. I know there is some tune or, yeah. <laughs> that goes to it, but I'd never heard it. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, but yeah. At that point in my life, so that would have been 96, uh, I was, I I didn't know what I wanted to do music-wise. You know, I was thought maybe I wanted to get signed as an artist, you know, uh, as, as a performing artist or whatever. Well, I know what you wanted to do. You wanted to become rich and famous, like all exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that goes without saying. Yes, true. But I, um, it's funny. Bill and I were talking earlier. Like, I have never been comfortable in front of people. Just that's you know, I'm an introvert. I've learned to, how to do that, but I've never been um, comfortable in front of people. What I love to do is is connect people. I love to get other people to the point where they are singing. Like that is what I love to do, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I think that is. We could talk about that for a while, actually, um, about the the just the the need for people to sing, the need for people to sing together. Yeah. But okay, so ninety six Jubilee House. A few years later, I moved back to um, to Boston, and I started working in the youth and music department. Um, with Bill, and we had uh, something that I think is pretty revolutionary for, for the time, uh, Youth Praise. Right. Now, Youth Praise was people, you know, it's a worship gathering for young people mm-hmm. all over the division in Massachusetts. I knew that the premise of that Youth Praise service when we started it. Worship led by young people. Yeah, it was actually yeah. a conversation. Nobody knows this. Yeah. It was a conversation that Steve Dittmer and I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what made me think. I said, you know, we should do something like, because nobody has enough within their own core. Right. We should get a bunch of core together, together and let 
let the young people, because every core is just a few young people. Let's get everybody together and do like some praise and worship and stuff yeah. together. And but it should be, and I, I was very insistent yeah, that it would be, it would be led by the young people. The young people, yeah. Uh, I said the worst thing that could happen to this thing is if you. I said this to you, is if you take it over and you run it, or if I took it over and let some, you know, it's got to yeah, be yeah. led by the young people themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how it just kind of. We put it together. Yeah, did it the it first evolved. time, and it was. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was a, like great. I mean, it was a. It was like a council of young people that yeah were pulled together to be there. Yeah, and it was a means and an opportunity to bring them together so they can worship in an environment that they felt comfortable and they could connect to. Yeah. Right, a lot of the young people back then just didn't connect to the quote unquote traditions. Mm -hmm. So that made it hard for them to really take their Christianity seriously, to really listen to the gospel. So we felt, let's try this tool mm -hmm. to help get them in, get them together in, in a medium that they're comfortable with. And we found that they, they let loose, they let go, mm -hmm. yeah. they, they listened, they built relationships both with those of us few adults who were there as well as with each other as young people throughout the division. It brought the young people throughout the division closer together on a routine basis, I think we started once a month mm -hmm. and maintained once a month. I know, I know Drew will remember exactly how many years we've kept that going yeah. from its inception and everything, mm -hmm. but uh, consistently with without fail yeah. all of these years, and mm -hmm. it's still going on to, to, yeah. to this day. Mm -hmm. yeah. That from that early beginnings, right. extended worship. Now this. Yeah. For me, this is something that's recently come back into my life. Uh, we are at a core now that starts off with a few announcements and then an hour of solid of worship. Um, and it is so good because if you don't want to be worshiping when you start, you, you will by the end of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you you know, it's, it's getting into that place. And I think the extended times of worship to let people get into that, yeah. you know, give we them all, time, yeah, enough time to get into it. Mm. Sometimes they were too quick, yeah, and it's over. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, and we all have we have walls, we have relationships, we have things to get through before we can, you know, um, do that. And so, I love I love that yeah. uh, those times. I think another special. beauty. I think another beauty that happened within that setting, and your song "Send the Fire" was a a, a good impetus for this is to take our traditional hymns mm -hmm. and teach them to our young people mm -hmm. in a format that they could um, taste, make it palatable for them. Yeah. So the, the, the melody that you created for that song, the setting stylistically, uh, it didn't sound like a traditional hymn. Mm -hmm. And it reached a lot of people who probably never would be reached mm -hmm. yeah. with the rich history of that, it really is. The Savage Nama Songbook is a hymnal now, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It was a different type of hymnal. Right. Now it's come <laughs> into the stage, it's the current version mm -hmm. where we have the music along with the lyrics mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but I just, I just, there's, there was a value that's important for those who were venturing and having more quote unquote contemporary songs, and contemporary is relative depending on yeah. what time period you're in. Yeah, sure. Um, but making sure that the traditional songs 
were taught as well for the emerging generations, mm -hmm. the value of it in. But and our theology is in, 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 yes. in our songs yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, those distinctives are, are right in there. Um, I know that all three, sorry, were you going to say something? I don't want to interrupt, but I was thinking, yeah. like, one of the powerful songs, like, that you guys arranged, I don't know if you or Marty did it, was I Know a Fountain. Yeah, Marty. And that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And the rich, the theology uh, in that, um, you know, that the very powerful, transformative power of the words linked with, you know, what you would say, like a contemporary yeah. music. But also the same, that when you took a hymn, and instead of, you know, you played a guitar, you know, with it or something like that. Maybe same tune, right? You know, but yeah, yeah. it it I don't want to say it was more palatable because that's not a good phrase, but you know, it it resonated. It communicated in the language, yes, in the language yeah, of yeah, the yeah, young people. Yeah, yeah. Young people. Part of the reason I wanted to have these conversations with uh, people like yourselves is that I, I do believe that worship is so important. Um, in the Salvation Army. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'd go as far as to say that it's, it's, it's critical and it's crucial. Um, it, it, the Salvation Army, we can be about so many things. You know, and even when we get together, it can be, our getting together can be about so many things because we do so many things. Not that any of them are wrong. We do good things. And there are good things that need to be done and good things that need to happen. But when we worship, it brings us back, as you said, to, to our foundation, to what we are really, what's at our core, what we are really about, our love for God. Mm -hmm. And that, because that hopefully you know, will, will never change, that's the hope that this understanding has, yeah. is that we stay focused and stay centered on our love for God. Why do we do anything we do? Because we love yeah. God. Because we love Jesus. And and worship is kind of what gets into you know really brings that down to mm. to, to who we are and where we are. Yeah. We're Yeah. And it's got to be done authentically without apologies. Yeah. Mm. You know, mm. Sometimes we apologize too much. Mm. And I think, for me, um, being a lifelong salvationist and having been an officer for 36 years, and we are very busy people, and we get very, very busy in serving humanity or in the community or um, just whoever, and we really need to, I don't want to say take a break, but we really need to shift gears and shift that focus off the doing, yeah. you know, and just being in the presence, you know, of the Lord. And it does take a while to uh, disengage and yeah. unwire my brain and stuff like that, to just sit in God's presence, mm. you know, yeah. to do that. And and that's been critical for me. And it's also been um, very critical. I see praise and worship as warfare. Yes. And in my own life and in very... Uh, pivotal situations throughout our married life and just even in recent years have, I mean, been worshiping God my guts out, uh, mm -hmm. you know, battling the enemy. Yeah. You know? Yes. Amen. 
Yeah, that, that <laughs> it's funny that we would forget that in the Salvation Army sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, worship is warfare. Uh, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to remind ourselves that God is for us. God's on our side. You know, he's actually for us. And just declare. And it is. Yeah, there's something about worshiping. You know, and, and yeah, we we all affirm, right, that, that, that um, this world... What we see is not all there is, yeah. you know, and there's stuff happening, uh, and that we're called to be part of that, and, and worship is one way to be part of that. Well, I have that. That's I've covered all my points that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things, but but we could talk about any any number of things. Hey, is there any? Oh, I, I did have one question that I asked um, my last guest, uh, John Copeland. Uh, and that was, um, well, a couple of things. What, is there anything that, ex- what excites you about what you've seen recently, something you've seen recently in the army in terms of music or worship? Um, I'll leave it there because I think it's fairly easy to be cynical. I'm a really cynical person. I can point out what's wrong. But what, what excites you about uh, the future of the army um, in terms of worship and worship ministry? I like the eclectic nature of the Salvation Army, especially uh, I'm from the Northeast, and the Latino, the African-American, the uh, just the, the different genres of music that come together, you know, in worship. And just that we, uh, you know, even though there's a lot of disunity and there's a lot of problems within the world and with Salvation Army, but in worship, I... I find a sense of unity, mm-hmm. and, and that 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 gives me hope. I think. I mean, if, if you're going to say one thing, yeah. uh, we recently just came uh, from uh, commissioning weekend, and I just I saw it there, um, standing back as a, as an old person, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, engaging and yeah, the eclectic, uh, just very diverse nature mm-hmm. of the. Um, the body of believers as we worship together. When you said, what gives me hope? I thought back to, again, to commissioning this last weekend. And um, so another place that Sue and I were for a long time was in, in Camden, New Jersey, but the Crocs are there. But we, we again, we ran, did something very um, kind of outside the box, but we, we ran a thing called Servant Corps. We had a house in Camden, right in the heart, just a, a mile, not even a mile up the road from where the Crocs is. And we brought young people in, and we were specifically working to train them to do urban ministries. But while we were there, uh, there was a man who had been working at the uh, Trenton ARC, and he'd gone through the program, and he was, he was having to leave and he was from, originally from Camden. So an officer that I knew there called me and said, hey, Bill, do you think you could, you know, this, uh, is there any place for this guy in there? I said, look, send him down. Uh, and so I picked him up at the train station. But he, he was- had a trash bag. Of, yeah, it's his clothes in a trash bag. Uh, but it was kind of a little too old for, most of our people in our program were, uh, in their 20s, and they were also pretty much all female. So this is an older guy who was 
fifties. Yeah, early fifties. But uh, he, he, we brought him in. He lived with us, uh, and uh, you know, God just worked. God, he'd already he'd already given his his heart to the Lord, but God worked in his life in the time that he was there, and did some just real amazing miracles. And uh, we've since since then he's gotten married. Uh, and he had completely lost touch with his. He had children, three children, and completely lost touch with them yeah. and thought he would never see them. He knew he had grandchildren, but he had never met because he had been just for so many years in, in, uh, um, in addiction. In addiction, in his addiction. Mm-hmm. But um, since then, he's gotten remarried. He's been reunited with his family. And he's very active. He's the core sergeant major. At the Croc Center. At the Croc Center. Oh, cool. But awesome. uh, he and his it's why I started picking up their grandchildren, their grandchildren and, and bringing, bringing them, them to church on Sunday to, to the Salvation Army Court. Yeah. And one of their one of their granddaughters is it her granddaughter. Yeah. Is it one of her. She's only ten. Is yeah, it's ten. She started coming to the court and immediately latched onto the worship mm. and has become a part of the worship team. This little ten-year-old girl. And we were talking to somebody about it. She's like, who said she wants to be. In mm-hmm. church at the court, I mean, she wants to be there every Sunday, That's and it would, and and she wow. said, and they said, how many ten year olds like want to be in church every Sunday? Mm-hmm. But because she's part of the worship, mm-hmm. and she's she's just all totally into it. Mm-hmm. Well, at at commissioning, uh, you know, they did the call for anybody who wants to for officership or to. Or full-time service, and she said to the core officer there, she was sitting beside, she said, I'm going to go up there. She says, why? She said, I just want to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. Hmm. And, old girl. <laughs> and I'm like, that, if we have any hope, that's that's yeah. our hope. Yeah. And, and, and music and worship that is the, what connects yes. people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've often said, you know, people would say things about because I'm, I don't know, sometimes seen as a radical kind of guy or something. I don't know. They said, well, you do you like brass? I said, all right, I think brass, the brass band is one of the most ingenious things that oh, the Salvation yeah. Army ever did. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, well, that, that, well, that doesn't, that kind of surprised me. I said, listen, because what I think it's about is disciple making. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's key. That's critical. And Banding is one of the best disciple-making instruments yeah. the Salvation Army. Yeah. I don't know if they see it as that, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. If there's anybody who's who was a young person growing up in the army, yeah. that's that's no longer that's not an officer, mm-hmm. that did not become an officer, but is still involved in the army, they were in the band. Yeah, if I can tell you, every yeah. last time they were in the band. Yeah, and yeah. Because that that's what holds on, holds us together and holds those people. And especially for young people, getting them involved in, in whatever music the core has, whatever, uh, and, and letting them participate in the worship, participate in the music. That's, that's 
We, we will have a future. Yeah, I'm sensing a theme yeah. here with with youth praise, getting the letting the young people be involved in the mm-hmm. worship, letting the young people be involved in the worship. Yeah, that's that's like a theme. Yeah, that's a good segue to yeah. to, to to my hope uh, for the now and for the future. Uh, what you just described was my story. Mm-hmm. Nine mm-hmm. years old, walking into the door to Sunday school for the first time, mm-hmm. seeing the brass band on that stage, hearing it, and immediately given an opportunity to learn mm-hmm. and to play. Mm-hmm. And here I, I went to school to be a music teacher, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Graduated, turned right back around for my church to mm-hmm. be a music director, mm-hmm. to teach mm-hmm. and go in there. Yeah. All from that one sparking moment. Right? And the thousands of young people and adults yeah. that have been under your ministry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I was definitely discipled in the band. Yeah. And I was definitely convicted and nurtured spiritually mm-hmm. with that music. I can remember so many moments sitting in, playing my uh, baritone part or euphonium part, mm-hmm. and there was a moving moment yeah. so much in what we were playing that I had to stop playing so that mm-hmm. I could release my tears mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my heart was being spoken to mm-hmm. as an instrumentalist, mm-hmm. let alone us serving the congregation with our music and everything. Yeah. I was being ministered to as a participant in everything. Mm-hmm. Another segue is that I have hope for is that we added to the systematic structure that we had for training instrumentalists mm-hmm. and vocalists in the army historically Mm -hmm. for hundreds of years we've added to that other artistic forms Mm -hmm. other realms in the arts Mm -hmm. not just musical arts but Mm -hmm. movement arts visual Mm -hmm. arts Mm -hmm. um, you name it we've Mm -hmm. added to that systematic serious strategic Mm -hmm. training and development so that our young people one could develop those skills to mm-hmm. highest levels like we did with the brass bands mm-hmm. and the vocalists and everything and also reached young people who were not attached to mm-hmm. brass instrument percussion right. or vocalists yep. they had other interests that were innate in them yeah some of them were dancers for the Lord. Like the birthing or, of TAM through the Eastern yes, Territory. or the, even arts, the arts training program. The arts yeah, training helped program. Helped yeah. provide the training and to reach other young people. Right who were not a part of that networking yeah. mm-hmm. and discipling in their meetings and everything. So that that was that was just like a, a can of worms that was allowed to be open mm-hmm. yeah, finally after years of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of trying to get that in the mix and have equal validation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was blood, sweat, and tears getting that, but it's still going on to this day, which mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. beautiful in this. It's 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 gonna flounder even further if we keep it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that testimony, Bill. The um, of the walking in the, the in, as a nine-year-old. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah. No matter what what kind of uh, no matter if it's a worship team or a, a praise band or brass band, or whatever it is, having something that that people kids can plug into, you know, and and be disciple. I think. That's good. I want to be chewing on that for a while. Discipleship through music and the arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for being. <laughs> thank you. My, I, listen, this has no form yet. I don't even know what this is. If you have a name for it, I don't. Worship in the army and, and getting back. 
uh, yeah, but thanks for thanks for the conversation, and uh, you know that I love all three of you, and thank you for your influence on my life and the hundreds and thousands of people that have been ministered to by you guys. And if I mm-hmm. continue, I'll start crying. So <laughs> <laughs> love you guys, and thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Quality, quality people right there. Thank you to Bill and Sue Dunnigan and Bill Rollins for coming on my podcast. Um, A lot of stuff in there to chew on, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you for listening to First Draft Phil. If you um, haven't done so already, click the subscribe or follow button if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thank you to the people who have already left reviews and comments. Um, I am so glad that this is helping people. Um, And yeah, I will see you next time on another episode of First Draft Phil. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.